I uh, look forward every week to come to you and, and bring the word that God has laid in my heart as we work our way through Psalm 119. It's been a wonderful study on the Christian life and our um, walk with Christ. So as you've been here over the past months and years, I suppose, if you've been with us a while and having heard the, the detail of the, of the psalm here, 119, preached to you, how's your Christian life going? How would you say you are progressing in your faith? Is this something that uh, encourages you, discourages you? Well, in Psalm 119, the psalmist has covered just about every possible component of a believer's life. I mean, think of it broadly, if you can. Uh, the, the psalmist here has considered everything from the character of God to the daily struggles of trying to follow him faithfully. He's recorded the danger of of drifting, the deception of drifting, really, away from God. And yet, he reminds us of the steadfast love of God that runs back and gets us every time we drift. He's recorded the, the truth of, or, and the importance of knowing God and how that true knowledge of God will develop a zeal for him and the inevitable pursuit of deep communion with that God you know. He has revealed really a pathway with God and affection for God and encourages us all along the way to walk with him faithfully day in and day out. That's what this psalm has been about. I pray, I have prayed that the Holy Spirit would do a work in your heart, that he would draw you to himself as we've studied this psalm, that you would know Christ your Savior more intimately, trust God more deeply. Our recent studies here have hammered home the importance of prioritizing spiritual vitality, the, the importance of having a vibrant Christian life. I mean, no one wants a dead Christian life, as if there is such a thing. No, no one wants to have a mediocre relationship with God that I'm aware of. Everyone who calls himself a Christian or maybe I should say everyone who is a Christian, uh, desires a deeper walk with Christ, a more, a more substantial, vibrant relationship with the God of heaven, which, which is why we come here weekly, which is why you open your Bible at home, which is why you pray and interact with God through the Holy Spirit. And so we must pray, as the psalmist has encouraged us, for spiritual vitality. These kind of Prayers for spiritual vitality ought to always be on our lips. Whether you sense that you're on a spiritual mountaintop or whether or not you're struggling in the valley of the Christian life, prayers for spiritual vitality should be a regular part of our devotional life. Prayers that we find sprinkled throughout this psalm, like, Oh, that my ways were steadfast. With my whole heart I seek you. Open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your law. Enlarge my heart that I may run therein. My eyes long for your promise. These kind of prayers ought to find their way to our lips as we develop in this walk of faith. We be, should be seeking renewal, revitalization, a growth in spiritual vibrancy. I hope that's the case with you. If not, today's a new day. 
And God, in his mercy and grace, offers you another opportunity to come to him by faith and receive the renewal that he offers us through his word, the power of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ. And so today is a new day. I pray that your hearts will be united with me as we look into this word and seek this vibrancy that is available to all who will pursue it. We're entering a new stanza today, so if you have your Bible, I hope it's open to the stanza that was just read for you from Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160. It's the Resh stanza. Of course, Resh is the um, title of the Hebrew letter of the alphabet that is related to this particular stanza. And in this stanza, I think if you were listening, it's obvious that our psalmist is facing some difficulty, some hardship, right? Uh, he, he's crying out to God for help. He seems to have a growing need for God to intervene because his crisis is getting deeper and more significant. And so he's crying out for help. His response to his circumstances here is something of note and something that I want you to pay attention to as we study through this stanza in the next few weeks. It's a model for us, really, as we go through our own struggles in life. Our response to our circumstances really is a critical part of spiritual growth. How you respond to what God is taking you through is important. It matters. And here we have a model for us. A, a, a path that we can follow, clearly marked path. So how, how do you generally respond when things go sideways in your life? What, what's, what do you do? Do you realize that this world does not have the remedies for an aching heart? Have you discovered that yet? Or do you still believe what the world's selling? Charles Bridges wrote this, this world is not our rest, but the exercise before our rest. Have you found that to be true in your experience with God? That you're really not at rest? I mean, you're, you're at peace with God if you know Christ, but you're not really at rest and you've sensed it? This world is not our rest, but the exercise before our rest. This, of course, will disappoint anyone who believes that this world should be their best life now. Uh, those who know their Bibles, who know the God of their Bibles, will understand that Bridges is correct here. He's, he's on to it. He is right to say that God hasn't intended this world to be the fulfillment of our hopes and dreams. That's never been God's intention. The world is a place designed by God to prepare us for the next life of joyful bliss with our God and Savior. The question is, how are we going to navigate the days of trouble now? What are we going to do about the trials you're facing today? Between now and when you see Jesus face to face, what's the plan, right? That's, that's a good question to ask. What do you do when times become uncomfortable? Why do we even need trials? I mean, why can't just God let good enough be? Why do we have to keep having all these things? Well, as Christians, I think we ought to have answers to these kind of questions. What are the answers? Well, they're revealed in our text today. The author begins by laying out his struggles in front of God and asking for help. Verse 153, look on my affliction, he cries. So let's, let's dig through this stanza as a whole today and see what encouragement the Holy Spirit might bring as we seek him. First thing I want to point out to you, of course, is the realities of affliction. 
<clears throat> you're not under the delusion that realities are, I mean, the, the difficulties are for someone else, are you? You, you have enough experience in life to <laughs> confirm that we all go through these things, right? I hope so. If not, pay attention for the next few minutes or the next few days in your own life. How are we going to think about the hardships we face? In this 153rd verse, the author asks God to please pay attention. God, please see my situation. Please hear my cry for help is where the author begins. We're not really sure what he was going through exactly. Um, although, just by having read through this psalm, we know that he's been encountering bad people you know, off and on in his life that want to do him harm, even some that want to end his life. And so he knows that's a concern, and that's probably a bigger concern than most of us face, right? We don't have people chasing us down wanting to kill us, I don't think. Um, but there are certainly things that he struggles with that you and I struggle with. Why? Because he and us are human, right? We all face trials. We all face difficulties. We all have similar, common trials, difficulties, challenges. Affliction is common to all people. And of course, affliction comes in all shapes and sizes, right? Let me remind you of what I'm talking about. We all have relational challenges, don't we? Similar, but different in minor ways. But we have relational challenges in the home, at work, at school. We have challenges we face with people. We have health challenges throughout life, from minor to life-threatening. We have financial challenges, either from not having enough or having to steward the, the abundance that God has given. Both are challenging. We have family challenges of marriage and raising children. We have vocational challenges on finding a job that will be fulfilling or finding a job that will fit my skills and interests. We've got challenges all across the spectrum at different levels, different kinds of intensity all throughout life. You're never going to come to a place, come to a plateau where that's behind you now. You wish that were the case, but that's the point of heaven in the next life. One of the points, I should say. Trials and afflictions are common. There isn't really anything we can do to avoid them. No matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, educated or not, black, white or brown, no matter where you live, afflictions abound. Everyone faces them. In fact, as you read through the Bible, this becomes evident. If nothing else does, <laughs> this becomes evident. People, whether they belong to God or enemies of God, go through stuff. Which is why Job, a guy who went through some trials himself, wrote in chapter 5, verse 7, But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Which direction do sparks go? They go upward, just like the trials in life. Everything happens all the time, just like sparks go up. So, how do we respond to them, is the question. The question isn't whether you will face them. The question is, how's, how are you going to respond to them when they come? And your response is more critical than the, than the affliction itself. Most of us have lived long enough to know how we personally respond to trials. What's your MO? What do you do when you face trials? Um, do you pout? 
Do you lash out, accuse, manipulate, isolate yourself? What do you do when you face difficulties of different kinds in your life? The stanza gives us the path, maybe a better one than the one you've exercised. Charles Spurgeon, like everybody else, had difficulties, trials, hardship. How did he respond to them? Well, let me give you a couple quotes that might help you. Spurgeon said, there is not one out of all of our trials which we could have afforded to have been without. And he proves to us that he's not dealing with a full deck when he says the next one. The greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is sickness. (laughs) Really? Okay. Sickness, he says, has frequently been of more use to the saints than health has. That's where we stop reading, right? (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. But it seems that he's on to something here. Read the Bible. What do you discover in Bible characters? You, You discover that it's common to them, and some of them deal with trials well, and some of them don't. Joseph, did he do well in facing his trials? Exceptionally well. We should model our lives after him. At least our responses to trial after him. Jacob, on the other hand, did he do very well? No. That's one guy you don't want to model your life after. Both found in scripture for the sake of our encouragement. One to follow, one not to follow. Jesus, did he go through difficulties? Yes. How did he respond to his difficulties? Well, the just turns out that Jesus and Joseph and all the others who responded well followed the pattern of the rest stanza. How ought we ought to respond? Here's an idea. Let's follow the pattern of the rest stanza. I'm going to lay it, lay it out for you in hopes of encouraging you. Okay? So in, in verse 153, the author does the first and most obvious thing that all of us should do when facing trouble. Take it to God. You see what he says there? Look at my affliction, Lord. Look, pay attention, please, to what I'm going through. Okay, so obviously, being God, he's not unaware of what we're going through, is he? Of course not. And let me just say this, and I'll come back to it. He's planned what we're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. And there's a purpose in it, a divine purpose, a reason for why you're going through what you're going through or what you went through, if you haven't figured out why you went through it yet. This may be helpful to you. But the the point that I want to make here right up front is that this author and us and all biblical characters who responded well to difficulties called out to God and asked that he pay attention, reminded him, that they were his. And so we know that God's aware of these things, but that doesn't keep the author here from crying out for help. Shouldn't keep us from crying out for God's help, even though we know he's sovereign and completely knowledgeable of our details. But coming to grips with the fact that life is challenging, as this author obviously has in verse 153, is the first step to finding peace in those hard times. To deny that you ought to be going through these things 
isn't the path to recovery from them. Denying that you should be going through these things isn't the path to recovery. Like Jacob, he tried to manipulate his way out of his circumstances all the time. That really never turned out too well for him. So coming to grips with the fact that life is challenging is the first step to finding peace with those hard times. The interesting thing that, <clears throat> that I want to point out to you here as we dive into this, this stanza is that the psalmist's perspective in his trials is very interesting, very unique. It, it seems that he desires spiritual vitality more than relief from his trials. What do you think about that? The author here, and I would suggest Joseph, Jesus, Abraham, all people who give good models for handling trials, their, their preference is to receive what God has intended in the trial more than relief from the trial. He, he wants spiritual vitality more than relief from his affliction in this stanza. His, his prayer seems to intensify as we work our way through the stanza. In verse 149 in the previous stanza, he pleaded with God to grant spiritual vitality. And then in our current stanza, did you count how many times he pleaded for the same thing? Give me life as a plea for spiritual vitality. Three times he prays for it in this stanza. Give me spiritual vitality. Don't let me miss out on the intended purpose for my struggles, for my trials, God. Please give me spiritual vitality is the prayer. I'm going to repeat or review, I should say, these four calls for spiritual vitality. Starting back in verse 149 and then working our way through the current stanza. Okay? So let's look at verse 149 just to, by way of review from what we covered last week. He says, hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Now, that, that seems counterintuitive to ask God to give you spiritual vitality because of his justice. Justice is normally something human beings run from because we're guilty, right? But we learned last week that justice is actually our friend. The justice of God is actually our friend because God's justice has taken out his wrath, the punishment that we deserve, that we should receive on Jesus Christ, his son. And so now God is free to forgive us, to, to give us not just forgiveness, but spiritual vitality, life, which the author is praying for. And so because of the work of Jesus Christ, God is just to forgive, just to restore, just to revitalize those of us who are struggling. If there is anything that's going to bring spiritual vitality to you and me, it's knowing that we're forgiven. We can stand before God, our judge, God, our creator, forgiven. What wonderful news that is. Secondly, let's move down to the next plea for spiritual vitality in verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life. Now listen, according to your promise. According to your promise. 
Now, before I go on, I want you to notice that each of these requests for spiritual vitality rests on the Word of God. And that doesn't surprise you because this whole, this whole uh, chapter, Psalm 119, is about the Word of God and the life of a Christian. So this, this fact that all of his requests for spiritual vitality rests on the Word of God doesn't surprise us. But in verse 154, it's based on the promises made in his Word. Do you remember that that conversation we had about the synonyms found in verse, uh, in Psalm 119, there's basically eight synonyms for the word of God, promise is one of them. And so when he says, give me life according to your promise, he's saying, give me life according to your word, but with the nuance of the promises given in your word. I hope that makes sense to you. And so this is another way of simply reminding God of his promises to his people, in this case, this person, the psalmist. And when you pray this prayer, reminding God of the promises he's made to you in his word. Let, let me read you a promise found in God's word and see if it doesn't bring you some spiritual vitality. Okay? Psalm 91, verses 14 and 15. God says, because he holds fast to me in love. God says, because you hold fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer. There's a promise for you. Does that bring you some spiritual vitality? Some spiritual encouragement? It ought to. It's intended to. God responds to his people that he loves and that love him. And, of course, you know, this isn't the only promise of that kind. He promises to be with us in trouble, to rescue us if we will honor him. What other promises in the Word of God might bring about spiritual vitality in our lives? How about this one? The promise of a Savior. The promise of one who will stand in our place. The promise of that mediator that we sang about earlier. One who will who take on the weight of our responsibility before our Creator, who will take the punishment for our sin. How about that promise of a Savior, which we first read of in Genesis 3.15? That early, the, the, the very day that Adam and Eve first sinned, that promise came from the lips of God. I'm going to send a Savior that's going to take care of your sin. What a wonderful promise. What spiritual vitality. What hope. How about this promise? The promise of God to never leave or forsake you. How many of your challenges, how many, how many of your difficulties stem from abandonment? People leaving you, forsaking you, feeling neglected? Are any of your problems related to those kind of things? I suspect they are. Well... How about this? A promise from God who said he will never do that to us. Does that bring hope and encouragement? It's intended to. How about this? God never changes. <laughs> Here's one thing that we have all discovered in the past 12 months. Things change. <laughs> right? Mostly for the bad. Our, our experience over the past year has been an experience and changes that go in the wrong direction, right? Yeah, 
Well, we have a God who says he never changes. He will always be faithful. He will always love. He will always forgive. He will always be there. He never changes. Deuteronomy 11, 26, God blesses obedience. I like that promise. Well, all these other people seem to be doing fine around me. How come I, well, why do I need to obey? Well, because spiritual vitality is dependent on your obedience, and God blesses people who are obedient. God meets our needs. We'd spent quite a bit of time on that verse in Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all of your needs. Do you have some needs? Yeah. Knowing that we have a God who has promised to supply those brings vitality, vibrancy, a reason to return to his presence. God will transform us into the image of Jesus. There's a promise that brings me encouragement regularly. If you're like me, you look at yourself, you look into the mirror and you go, what gives? Why is it taking you so long to get from point A to point B? It's a straight line. Just follow it. I get discouraged with the progress of my spiritual life. And then I come across this promise in Romans 8, 29 that God is going to transform me, conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. And it gives me hope. It brings spiritual vitality. God is going to fulfill his promises to me. The next plea for spiritual vitality comes to us in verse 156. Look at your copy. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Now that seems a little bit different than how we might plead for spiritual vitality. Hey God, how about more rules? They really make me happy. I'll have a lot of fun with rules. I love going 35 on Tieton when nobody's there. It's just fun. No, it, it's opposite of how we think and yet here the psalmist says somehow God's rules are intended to bring life <laughs> let me help you with this <laughs> this is this is so important for us well all these are the author makes this request give me life according to your rules in verse 156 and then explains it in verse 157 and 158 he says Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look to the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. What's he saying? He, he's saying here that these swervers, these unfaithful swervers, really are those who talk a great talk, but don't walk the walk. That's what he is saying. They don't, they are, they're easy, they, they're quick to say how much they love God, how they want to please him, but they never follow it up. They're professors, not possessors. This has been an ongoing problem in humanity, at least those who, who know God, for quite some time. The Old Testament's full of stories about God's people who say one thing and do another. Do you know anybody like that? Well... Let me read for you something that Ezekiel the prophet wrote, or God spoke to Ezekiel the prophet. Chapter 33, verse 31. 
and they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Now there's something that frustrates a pastor. Pastor Ezekiel has his congregation coming. They listen to him, they smile and nod, and then they walk out the door and do anything. Put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in my shoes. You know, Ezekiel and I, we have this practice of preaching and people have the practice of nodding and smiling and then they walk out that door and they can't remember the passage that we just preached, let alone the commitments God's asking for. Professors, not possessors. Isaiah 29 describes the same thing. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Friends, the bane of the church, the bane of God's people throughout history has been being professors and not possessors. Being all talk and no walk. The author here is pleading, Lord, revitalize me as I walk the talk. That's what he's saying. I want spiritual vitality in my life, and I know it's related to your rules. So if you want to be spiritually vibrant, if you want to have a, a, a walk with Christ that is real and affectionate, the word of God and the rules in the word of God had better mean something to you. And, I, and I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about basic affection for Christ. Let me give you some examples. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 22. Jesus said was the most important of all of God's rules. Love God with all your might. Do you think if, if you do that, even if you pursue that with sometimes failing in that pursuit, do you think there'll be some vibrancy in your Christian life? I guarantee it. If you desire to love God with all your might, you'll be a vibrant person of God. Another rule that will bring vibrancy to your Christian life, to your spiritual journey, Hebrews 10.25, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Let me tell you one of the first things that happens when people drift from God. Let me tell you one of the things that are the first signs of spiritual lethargy. Forgetting or not prioritizing participating in the body of Christ regularly. I see it all the time. When people drift from God, drift from affection, drift from intimacy with God, the first sign, the first step is always neglecting the assembly. Not being here, viewing this as uh, an option, as an elective, as if it's convenient. Step number one. Step number two, drift from God. 
drift from spiritual vibrancy. Hence, the rule. God is saying through the author of Hebrews, do you want spiritual vibrancy? Then don't neglect the meeting with other saints who are pursuing that same thing. Next, all the one another's of the New Testament, these are all, they would fall into the category of rules, commandments that are designed to, to bring about spiritual vibrancy. Serve one another, love one another, exhort one another, pray for one another, give to one another. These are all commands, rules, that would relate to what this particular plea in Psalm 119 is referring to. Give me life according to your rules. If you will, as a Christian, commit yourself to obedience to these things, you know what's going to happen? Vibrancy is going to happen. Instead of asking, why is my spiritual life boring and dead? Look into the mirror. Am I faithful? Am I following Christ? Am I pursuing the things that he's laid out clearly in Scripture? The next pursuit or the next plea for spiritual vibrancy is found in verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Now that one makes sense, right? At least on the surface. All of them make sense, but at least on the surface, this one makes sense. What's going to motivate me to being a, a vibrant Christian, an a affectionate lover of Christ, is his love towards me. Doesn't that make sense to you? And so I don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just flesh it out for you a little bit. How does the steadfast love of God give spiritual vitality? Well, a blessing in the pursuit of spiritual vitality is that we can be sure that a loving Heavenly Father who controls all things is behind the scenes orchestrating everything that I'm experiencing for my good. <laughs> everything that happens to me is orchestrated by a loving Heavenly Father. That brings spiritual life. It brings hope. It's, it's confidence that what I'm going through has an intended purpose. And its purpose is designed by, orchestrated by, planned by a loving Heavenly Father. His undergirding, this, His love undergirds us and sustains us. We also see that God's love towards us, if we experience it, if, if it's in us, that same love spills out to those in our lives, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our church. Let me read for you from 1 John 4, verses 7 and 11. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So the pursuit of spiritual vibrancy comes from God loving us and us responding to that love by loving him and loving each other. It creates a vibrancy, a vitality in your Christian life. So when you're going through difficulties, we need to be thinking about these things. What should our response to this affliction be? Remember God's justice. You're forgiven because of God's justice. That brings spiritual vitality. Remember God's promises. 
They're all over scripture for the sake of vitality. Remember God's rules. Why? Because God wants you to be vibrant in your Christian life. Remember his love. It fills your heart and gives you hope and spreads that love to those around you and hence brings a vitality to your Christian life. That should be our response. That's the path that Joseph followed, that Jesus followed, that everybody who has a vital Christian life has followed. Let's look at the results of this affliction since that's where we began. The results of the affliction that's obviously the, the source for this psalm, this, this particular stanza. And as this, this author began this stanza by saying, please look on my affliction, every believer should want God to look on their affliction and complete the intended work of that affliction. <laughs> Don't choose the easy route, friends, and miss the point of the affliction. Miss the blessing of the affliction. Unfortunately, many of us believe that the only path to joy is what the world says. And that is, the absence of discomfort is the only option. The world says, if you're uncomfortable, change your circumstances. Do something about it. Whatever you need to do, change it. That's not what the psalmist would say. That's not what Jesus would preach. It's not what Joseph experienced. And yet, the world promotes comfort, toys, status, money, etc., as cheap substitutes for what God is doing in each of us, his people. And let me say this. If you shortcut what God is doing through your trying circumstances by buying into what the world is selling as means of getting out of those circumstances, you're missing the point of your trial. And as Israel experienced, you will take another lap around Mount Sinai. That's how God works. Let me reread this quote from Crazy Spurgeon that I read earlier. There is not one out of all of our trials which we could have afforded to have been without. Every single trial you go through, God has a specific and intended purpose for it. <laughs> God pays close attention. He oversees every detail and even the level of intensity of our hardship to be sure it's exactly what we need to produce exactly what he wants. This ought to encourage us, friends, to look on our trying circumstances only as a means of increasing our acquaintance with and affection for our tender, almighty friend, Jesus Christ, who's been through all these things himself. You need to know for sure that when you're suffering, God is paying very close attention in order to produce the intended results. And let me say this, a word of encouragement, especially to those who might be going through something right now and whose heart is heavy right now. God is never closer than when you're hurting. God is never closer than when you're hurting because he is there personally attending to your spiritual vitality. 
working out his plans, creating the circumstances so that your heart will become just like the heart of his dear son, Jesus Christ. So that you'll run to him when things get tough. We have a loving and empathetic Savior. We have a powerful and kind Heavenly Father. And we have an indwelling and wise Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Mediator, Jesus Christ, is praying for us. He constantly is paying attention to our affliction and is always working to bring about His purposes in us. He Himself experienced difficulty just like we have, which is why the author of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 call us into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus Christ, particularly because he understands what you're going through. He knows the sorrow. He knows the pain. He knows how difficult it is. And so we run to that one who knows us well and loves us deeply. One of our greatest comforts in all of this is that we have a compassionate, empathetic God. Which is why the psalmist is reaching out so earnestly to him, without hesitation. Isaiah 63, 9 is a wonderful verse of the God we serve and love, who loves us. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. That same faithful God who demonstrated his loving care and tenderness to the people of old is active today in your life and mine. God is this, this same God is the one to whom we cry for help because he has demonstrated the power and willingness to save countless others throughout human history from their distress and produce his desired result in them. Joseph in prison, the people of Israel at the Red Sea, David facing Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, Jeremiah in the miry pit, Jonah in the fish of the belly, the disciples of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, the missionaries one after another who face certain death. Why does God want us to reach out to him when we're in trouble? Well, there's two objectives. One is your spiritual vitality, which what this sermon has been about. And the other, when you reach out to him, he is overjoyed. He's glorified. It makes him happy. Let me read for you some, some verses that support that. One from the Old, one from the New Testament. Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. You in trouble? Call on God, like the psalmist did here in the rest stanza. And what's going to happen? I'm going to deliver you, and then you're going to glorify me. In the delivery, you're glorifying me. In coming with your request, you're glorifying me, God is saying. And then 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul said, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God loves delivering his people. God loves accomplishing his purposes in you and me. God is glorified when we call out for help. This, 
this calling out, what we've read here in Psalm 119, 153 to 160, is God drawing us into communion. Had you been on Pleasure Island, you would have never come. Your trials draw you into communion with your Savior. Your trials are a blessing. Your difficulties, your afflictions, your anxieties are a gift from God. They're your allies to draw you into this, this affectionate, this uh, vibrant, vital Christian life that you want in the heart of hearts. If we could see that, it draws us there into that place and transforms us once we're there. This is the intended result of all affliction, transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior, which is why God ordains what it is we experience, the trials we face to bring about his intended ends. So the ultimate purpose of our trials, hardship, and affliction is to bring glory to God and joy to us, his people. Evidently, we're not happy enough. And so God, in his love, in his care for our well-being, brings opportunity to build up more vibrancy, more love, more vitality, more joy. Trials are our allies. Let me read for you from Romans 5 in conclusion. Paul said this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Sounds like Spurgeon. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, we come with much hope, but hesitantly. In our pain, we're uncertain where to turn, but we read verses like we just have covered in Psalm 119, and it gives us hope that you know us, that you know our circumstances, that you love us, that you have a purpose. God, help us trust you. Holy Spirit, draw our hearts to you. Continue to draw us. Keep us from um, unbelief. Keep us from drifting away from you. God, use these verses today. Use the circumstances of our lives to affirm your love towards us and to build up our vitality, our spiritual vitality. And we will praise your name. Amen.